Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Hey, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was March 30th, 1842. Dr. Crawford Long used ether as a general anesthetic for the first time ever, laying the groundwork for a new standard in surgery. Surgery today can be a nerve-wracking experience, even with all the medical technology we've developed in the last two centuries. But in the mid-1800s, surgery could still be a terribly painful process, as patients weren't sedated. Doctors were often using rudimentary means to calm patients before surgery, like alcohol, hypnotism, and restraint. Just imagine being fully conscious and having to receive an invasive surgery. Patients would writhe around and scream during operations, and often died from blood loss. Many doctors did whatever they could to avoid having to resort to surgery. But over the course of the late 19th century, that would change. While Crawford Williamson Long was a medical student at Transylvania College in Kentucky and the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, he observed and participated in several surgeries. During this time, Long saw people using nitrous oxide, or laughing gas, recreationally. And he went to laughing gas parties and ether frolics, where people inhaled nitrous oxide or sulfuric ether just for its euphoric effects. Long used ether himself, too. And he noticed that people who used sulfuric ether could fall or run into things but not feel any pain, and they would forget what they'd done while inebriated after the effects of the substances were off. In 1839, Long received his medical degree. And in 1841, he started a medical practice in Jefferson, Georgia, a small rural community. Once he had his own practice, he began experimenting with sulfuric ether. And on March 30, 1842, he administered ether to James M. Venable, a patient who attended ether parties and had postponed his surgery several times due to fear of pain. Long removed two tumors from the back of Venable's neck. He charged the patient $2 for the surgery. Long continued to use anesthesia in his surgeries after that. He even gave ether analgesia to his wife during labor pains. Friends, colleagues, and critics knew about his discovery and practice, but Long didn't publish his findings until 1849. Long had wanted to gather more evidence and be sure of his discovery. But by then, dentists Horace Wells and William T.G. Morton, as well as physician Charles T. Jackson, had already claimed they discovered anesthesia. Long said it had taken so long for him to publish his results because of his isolated rural environment and because he was super busy. And he wanted recognition for first using ether anesthesia during surgery. Unfortunately, Long didn't get much recognition during his life. Regardless, the other three doctors did make contributions to the development of anesthesia. Wells first used nitrous oxide for pain relief during dental surgery. Morton was the first to publicly demonstrate ether anesthesia and publicize its efficacy. And Jackson suggested to Morton that ether be used as an anesthetic. There was lots of debate over who really pioneered the use of anesthesia, but Long is considered the official discoverer of inhaled anesthesia. 
Anyway, there was now an effective method to sedate patients during surgery. So there was no thrashing around and excruciating pain during operation. But that did not mean that anesthesia was perfect and made surgery a breeze. The quality of ether was an issue. It could be so weak that a patient wouldn't go under or would regain consciousness during surgery. Or it could be so strong that a person would die from overdosing. Also, germs were a problem. Germ theory wasn't fully accepted in medicine until the late 1800s, and doctors had some pretty dangerous habits at the time, like entering surgery wearing bloody frocks, without wearing masks, and without washing their hands and tools thoroughly. Since patients weren't protected from germs, they were getting infections and dying. On top of this, the new process of operating on an unconscious patient was just foreign to doctors who were used to conversing with the people they were operating on. And plenty of medical professionals just weren't convinced about its benefits. There were people who protested anesthesia because they believed it simply went against the natural order of people feeling pain. There were others who thought that ether was an evil drug. Anesthesia had its champions, but it definitely was not widely accepted at first. Once people learned more about how germs work, sterilization became the norm, and drugs had federally mandated standards, anesthesia became an essential part of surgery and medicine. Long died in June 1878, and a year later, the National Eclectic Medical Association declared him the discoverer of anesthesia. Doctor's Day, a day to recognize physicians' contributions to society, is now celebrated on March 30th in honor of Crawford Long's discovery. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you're so inclined, you can follow us at TDIHC Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll be back with more history tomorrow. Hey everyone, it's Eves, and welcome to another episode of This Day in History Class, a podcast that brings you a little nugget of history every single day. The day was March 30th, 1791. The French National Assembly accepted a proposal by the French Academy of Sciences to define the meter. In the centuries leading up to this event, many different units of length were used throughout Europe. The confusion this caused made it clear just how necessary it was to have standard units of measurement. The French Academy and British Royal Society worked together to figure out what phenomena they could base standards on. They turned to the Earth's meridian and the second's pendulum, or a pendulum that takes a second to swing in one direction and a second to swing in the other, making its period exactly two seconds. Scientists believed that they would soon be able to measure the second's pendulum and the meridian accurately enough to base units on them, but that was not the case. In fact, in 18th century France, there were somewhere around 250,000 different units of measurement in use. Those included the point, the line, the inch, the foot, the fathom, the rod, and too many other units to list. National and international markets were expanding, 
the construction and maintenance of machines required precise measurements. And scientists were also having difficulty getting good, consistent measurements because of the lack of a standard one. Many people in France were frustrated with their existing systems of measurement and wanted uniform standards. So in August of 1789, during the French Revolution, a member of the French Academy proposed petitioning the National Assembly to establish a standard for weights and measures. They chose Charles-Maurice de Talleyrand Perigord as the National Assembly member who would be a spokesperson for their cause. Talleyrand presented a proposal to the National Assembly in 1790. The National Assembly and King Louis XVI approved his proposal, which called for the creation of a standard based on an, quote, invariable model found in nature. The king then sent Talleyrand's proposal to the Academy for consideration. In March of 1791, a committee in the Academy decided that the basic unit of length would be one ten millionth of the distance between the North Pole and Equator along the Paris Meridian. The Academy decided on the name meter for the basic unit of length. The name came from the Greek word metron, which meant measure. A decimal system of length measure would be based on divisions and multiples of the meter. Capacity units would be based on cubing the length measure, and weight units would be based on filling capacity units with distilled water. Talleyrand presented this plan to the National Assembly, and on March 30, 1791, the Assembly approved it. But this new system required an expedition to measure the meridian arc, since the distance of one quadrant of Earth's meridian was not known. The expedition took seven years, and even then, its results were inaccurate. Still, when the expedition ended in 1799, a platinum meter bar was constructed based on calculations done from the expedition. It became the official standard of meter measurement and was placed in the National Archives. It wasn't until 1837 when France abolished non-metric units. After the metric system was standardized in France, other countries began to adopt it. Today, a meter is defined as the length of the path traveled by light and vacuum during a time interval of 1 299-792-458 of a second. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to reach us on social media, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TDIHC Podcast. You can also send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.